0: like the Raiders of the Lost Ark, the Ark of the Covenant gets opened and all the Nazis kind of melt. That was kind of what I was expecting. Um, but God is faithful and, and he granted me the essence of my request in such a way that, that I could understand it or at least partially understand it. And, and when I received that kind of vision, I could see them through God's eyes. I kind of, was surprised because I'll be honest I expected there to be a lot of judgment in those eyes still I hadn't really got to that place yet and and even though I wanted to feel justified by there being judgment in those eyes I I couldn't find any and I I there was only love and affection um I could tell that he was aware of their struggles and the things that they were having issues with and I could sense sadness um for the ways those struggles were hurting and affecting them um but i couldn 't find any judgment i couldn 't find any judgment to justify my my viewpoint and, and this was really confronting for me um, and I still don 't fully understand what that what that really meant, um, but I do know that for me, it meant that there was no way I could go forward with judgment for them in my own eyes so pressing into that kind of judgment free vision um, proved to be an even greater gift than just being able to see them um, at that time was. It, it really freed me to love anyone I come into contact with, um, even if they're a bit thorny, and sometimes um, especially because they're a bit thorny. It, it enabled me to see the person that was behind this struggle um, and become a force um, for healing for those people and, and not just another person laying on more burdens and expectations and things like that. And um, I think that's quite an important truth for me is that God sees our identity at its core, he doesn't, he kind of, not, not, not necessarily ignores, but he sees past all those things that kind of get layered on top of us um, in life, the, the things that come up in our behavior because of the traumas and the struggles that we go through, and, and he sees the essence of who we are. Um, now, I may be hyping up this experience a little bit too much, so I'll forgive you if you now expect me to ascend into heaven. Um, LAUGHTER but this new perspective was, was a big deal for me, and it made a massive difference both then and, and now. And, and this gift of perspective is what made it possible for me to genuinely engage with this year um, of internship and to have a real genuine love for each and every person who walks through those glass doors out there. Even if I'm not always great at, at showing it, the love, the love has been there underneath. Um, and even when I'm feeling down or unwell, it is seeing you all through the lens of God's lenses. That is, that's, it has fueled me and kept me going. So far, I have resisted the urge to yell, God, Jesus loves you, as you walk through the door and just scream that at you every time you come through. Um, so I hope you'll indulge me just a little bit um, as I try to share what I have seen and what I don't see um, through those lenses and, and share at least part of um, the love that I saw that God has for you. So, these are things that I don't think God is saying. that. I'm pretty confident he's not saying. Um, and I think oftentimes we're our own worst enemies. Um, we're harsh to ourselves with, with judgment, um, let alone the judgment of others. And um, your eyes may have already picked out the words or sentences that you apply to yourself or have, have been applied to you by others. Um, but these are a few of the things that I know in my heart are not being said by God over his people and over you. Um, It might be being said by society and culture and TV movies and ads. It might be being said even by your colleagues, your your friends, your parents, uh, even fellow churchgoers. Um, But I want to encourage you that your identity is not found in these people per se. Your your true identity is found in God. And and as hard as that is, I, I, I want you to lean into that. I want you to feel like you have permission to let these false judgments go. Um, because there's some good stuff that I, that I have been seeing coming right up that I, that I kind of want to take that place. These are the things that I have seen when I look at you through his lens. You as a people, you as individuals. I see triumphant love, love that is sometimes a bit beaten up and scarred from the fight, but is all the stronger for it. I see his pride in you and for you, and I truly believe that he is proud of his people here at SVC. So, as you as your eyes may have been picking out stuff that you judge yourself for, maybe take a moment to pick out some stuff that you think God actually feels for you, or want, want to feel for you, anyway. And and try to let that in. Um, and I want to I want to leave you with a little excerpt from Mark uh, Ma- sorry Matthew seven um, eleven. Um, if you then though you are evil know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? And, and I say um, that verse because I want to encourage you as you go about your weeks to maybe spare a moment to think about how God sees you and how He sees others that you're interacting with and maybe having friction with. And if you feel that nudge from the Spirit, ask Him, God, how do you see me? How do you truly see me? How do you see me even though I'm hearing all these other voices, how do, how do you see me? And, and pray that over yourself. Thank you, Shaw Vineyard, for a pretty amazing year. Um, I feel really privileged to have been a part of this community over the last year um, and a little bit more. And um, I just want to say a few thank yous. So thank you to Vic and to Sandy um, for your guidance and your teaching over this year. Shout out to Sandy. for He read some of my assignments. So I had to deal with all my my heresies. But both of you had to deal with my cheekiness and my mischief. So I, I, I suppressed the urge to hide somewhere in the congregation from when you called me up. But, so I have behaved a little bit. Um, and a big thank you to everyone who's worked alongside me this year. Um, that's helped me and helped me grow and show me those different aspects of faith. A big thank you to Kathy and Gabby um, for the roles that you've played in mainly music and for letting me be a part of that. That's been really awesome, and I'll I'll cherish those memories of the happy kids and the big smiles they have. Um, I couldn't leave this without a huge um, thank you to my beautiful wife, Becca, who um, has supported me so much through this year. Um, brought home all that delicious bacon, um, even though we're, like, we're vegan for a little bit. Anyway, um, <laughs> lockdown changed some things, okay? Um, and she, she was the one that made this year possible and made it possible for me to pursue what I felt was, my, was God's calling at a time when I wasn't doing so well health-wise and, and other things-wise. So thank you, Becca. Uh, Though my internship is ending, we will still be around. Becca and I will still be around, Um, so I look forward to all the future memories that we will make together. Thank you, everyone. God bless you all.
1: Yeah, one one minute too, one minute too too long. Isn't that great? He is cheeky too. I've got to say, yeah, it's, that, that was at least one thing he said that was true. So, there you go. Well done, Fraser. It's just uh, awesome to have had you. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, it is a fantastic thing. So, what a what a great what a great and and wonderful thought. And so, even in amongst all of that, it's really important just to remember the the essence of what Fraser's saying to us and to grab that and keep it. We've been doing a little bit of a. Um, uh, a journey in communion, and I thought that it would be great for to ask Fran to to share a little about communion this morning in our second nine, just to to lead us forward in that. And so, this is Fran. She, I, it's it's hard to introduce her. For everybody else, I ask, I asked them to send me some things about what you'd like, um, what they'd like me to say. But I didn't even ask Fran because I don't know. She's my wife of thirty seven years. She's uh, most of my good ideas come from her. Um, she is really smart, she is really beautiful, and she is feisty. So, there you go. She has a feisty daughter as well, and I think that comes from her. So, there you go. So, this is Fran.
2: Thank you, I think. (laughs) Uh, well, I'm just going to jump right in. Have you ever thought about what you would order... For your last meal if you were on death row. Kiwi-born American photographer Henry Hargreaves took a deep dive into this last meal thing when he heard that a death row inmate had ordered but then didn't eat his last meal, which prompted the Texas prison authorities to take the last meal option off the table, literally. No one gets one now, you just get your regular prison ration. So Henry discovered that there was no visual record of any last meals, and now that the last meal had been served, um, it was too late to capture this weirdly touching and humanising aspect of a man or woman's last night alive and what they might have for tea. In an exhibition called No Seconds, he recreated and shot the last suppers of 14 death row inmates, some of whom it turned out, unsurprisingly, to be innocent. You want to see a couple? Of course you do, you ghoulish people. (laughs) So, this is single olive with a pit in it. 28-year-old Victor Feguay, convicted of kidnap and murder. That's his last meal option. You won't have heard of him, I dare say, but this guy you might have heard of, Timothy McVeigh. 33 years old, same age as Jesus. Oklahoma City bomber, 168 counts of murder, two pints of mint chocolate chip ice cream. Thank you very much. So uh, if you're up for a bit of dark tourism, you can find the rest of the um, exhibition, No Seconds, on henryhargreaves.com. So Last Suppers are a thing. It's not just Texas death row inmates, but Jesus, God in the flesh, consciously hosted and ate his last supper 2,000 years ago, and at that very table instructed us to eat this bread and drink this cup and do this as often as you meet to remember me. Jesus was eating the ritual Passover meal with his friends on that night, a significant annual meal eaten by Jews since the time of the Exodus when God told them to kill a lamb, paint the doorposts with its blood as a sign to the angel of death to pass over their houses and spare their lives, to eat this lamb with bitter herbs and to pack their bags and be ready to hit the road, because this was the moment of their liberation from 400 years of slavery in Egypt and the beginning of the journey to the promised land, during which they would become God's people, in a special covenant agreement struck on Mount Horeb between God and his friend Moses. But the human divine meal goes further back than Moses and the Exodus. There's a marvellous, mysterious meal in Genesis, way before any formal Jewish religion or Jewish people. Abraham and his wife, Sarah, followed God's invitation away from the gods and people they knew and into a new land. Abraham, in the heat of the day, is resting at the door of his tent And he sees three figures approaching. He offers them hospitality. Sarah makes cakes of bread, and they slaughter and prepare a young calf. And during this meal, the three men become one voice, the Lord. You need to hear that in capitals, L-O-R-D. It means God. And the Lord promises Abraham at this meal that he'll become a father, not just to a son, not just a tribe, Not even just a nation, but countless individuals. And we, in fact, are among the children of Abraham here today. So the hospitality of Abraham, seen here in Rublev's brilliant icon, is also a theophany, an appearance of God. It prefigures communion in its mysterious interchange of human and divine Food made and raised by human hands is served to God. And God brings to that simple meal real divine presence, life, a whopping promise. The cup and the slain calf that we can see on the table here. In the cup is the, the calf head, actually. Already indicating that God in Jesus would, in, would provide the ultimate satisfaction for our deepest hunger. The table and the feast is a powerful recurring image throughout the entire 66 books of the biblical library. From Genesis to Revelation, God tells us over and over, I have prepared a table for you. It's in the Psalms, and I love this rendering of Psalm 23. You prepare a table for me in the presence of all my fears. I'm a fearful person. And what about this one? Isaiah. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples. Oh, sorry. Lost my feast image. Uh, A a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. And on this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples. The sheet that covers all nations. This is a reference to a burial shroud. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. Jesus, whose favorite prophet is Isaiah, it seems, illustrates this intention of God to have all at the table in the parable of the great banquet while he is at a Pharisee's house for dinner. I love all those layers. One of the things Jesus says at his last supper is that he will not eat or drink the Passover meal again till it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God few days before, he's already publicly and shockingly claimed to be the bread of life, the manna or heavenly bread provided by God to his people in the wilderness. And now he identifies himself with the traditional Passover cup, saying it is the new covenant in his blood, not the little lamb or the goat, but his own, God's own blood. Jesus is clearly tying his last Passover with an ultimate fulfilment of God's promises to his people, to all peoples. So every Sunday, in worshipping communities around the globe, people meet to participate in this, the Pascal mystery. Pascal is the fusing of Passover and Easter in Jesus, the Lamb of God or the Lamb-like God who is the means for our deliverance from death row. Jesus has done it, and he asks us to remember this by meeting him here at the table every time we gather. This is a special kind of enacted remembering called anamnesis. You don't find it anywhere else, but here, really, as we stand, pray the words, as we taste and swallow, we're entering into the event of Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension. And doing this, we are remembered. We are put back together. We eat him, bread of heaven. We drink him, cup of life. And then St. Paul tells us, we are one body because we all eat and share the one bread, the literal bread and somehow literal Jesus. It's both an epically profound mystery and a weirdly simple and prosaic thing. And there's lots of things that I love about this. But for today, I love that any of us can stand here offering the pascal bread and grape juice to each other, saying, bread of heaven, the cup of life, no special skills required. The Vineyard Movement is in a process of recovery of the central practice of the Christian faith to come to the table. We're discovering our highest offering is to say yes to Jesus' invitation and let him feed us and meet him in these elements of bread and wine. And as we join with him and all who love him, we step out of chronos, human time, and just for a moment... Bread and wine in hand, we hang in Kairos, God's time and space, where anything can happen. So, today, as we come to the table, we'll begin with the words of St. Paul, the words used in all the Christian traditions since the earliest time of the church, based on Paul's hearing from the Lord Himself. And then we'll turn to our um, usual practice from the Book of Common Prayer from Ordinary Radicals. And today I'm going to be assisted by uh, members of our community who, most Sundays, are out in the group called Seek. So they're going to help me out. And I might invite you guys to come now if that's okay. Rupert's going to join as well. Thanks so much, guys. And what I might get you to do initially is sanitise and also maybe someone would like to light the candle for us. The match and matchbox are there. Don't set yourselves on fire. Let's just let the fumes go for a sec. (laughs) That would be a great concern. (laughs) There we go, Catherine, well done. So, just listen to these words from St. Paul. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you drink, eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So let's stand together. And the words of our liturgy will come up for your response.